Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nerds Adulting Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peter, and I'm joined every single time with my co-host, Josh. What is going on, pal, buddy, friend? Pal, buddy, old pal. Buddy, old pal? Uh, Yeah, old pal. Uh, Hey, Peter, I'm doing good. Uh, Last week was a... Last week's episode was fun. It was a good, good, good chat that we had about I'm, the blob. I understand that it's it it has its issues, but you know, it it uh it. I don't like we said it does not stand the test of time. But uh, here's here's you know, we're, we're I, moving right along. Yeah, go here's ahead. what I was thinking. So we're doing the thing. Nineteen. We're doing the thing. We are talking the movie The Thing from 1982 today, and. I loved it. It was just everything that I remembered. I thought I, the blob would be as far as like horror, special effects, and all that. I thought it was going to be all of that, but I loved going back and rewatching this movie. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I had such a great time watching this movie. It was just so much fun. So, for those of you who are just jumping on, we are doing eight weeks of horror. We have done, we're in week five. This is week five, right? So yep, we, we did Blair Witch. We did Resident Evil, the video game for PS1. We have done Child's Play from 1988 and also did The Blob, which is another uh, release from 1988. And it's a lead up into Halloween because Halloween's an amazing time. October, horror, spooky stuff. It's just so much fun. It's just one of my favorite things of the year. And I just I was like, let's do some horror for eight weeks. And here we are talking Absolutely. the thing. So that being said, so the... Up until now, the things that we have talked about sort of had like a special place in my heart as a child and something that I held dearly nostalgia-wise. For some reason, the thing really wasn't something that I experienced as a young kid. I may have watched it when I was in high school, and I thought meh about it. But I mean, I appreciate it for what it was. It was you know a fun horror movie. But it was never anything there that like I absolutely like adored like the other films and games that we had talked about. What, what was the thing like for you? So the thing for me... Um, although it had been out for a few years, uh, few years, it was pr- out before prior, either of us were born. <laughs> prior, yeah, exactly. Prior to both of us having been born, uh, I saw it in my uh, early years, probably like nine, ten ish. I'm assuming. Yeah. But I was instantly hooked. I've watched. I watch the thing regularly. I mean, let's put I it that. See, I, I let's put it why. that way. Let's put it that way. I watch the thing regularly. To me, it's like. Obviously, it's not. It's not a perfect film, but to me, the film is amazing. I feel like the effects, the story, uh, the, the, the pacing of the film, and the way that they articulate how dreadful the situation is, I think is, is masterfully done. So the thing, for me, the thing for me definitely holds a special place. I don't have a distinct memory of the first time that I watched it. I think I caught the back end of it the first time that I saw it, and it was on cable. And so I had gotten an opportunity to rent it a few years later from the video store that I worked at when I was a, a young man. And I had rented it and watched it. And I watched it probably like three, four times that weekend that I had rented it for. Do, the do, do you the, miss going to the rental store? I really miss going to the rental store on Friday and picking out a oh, movie yeah. that you had never even heard of. You're just like, oh, I want to rent a horror movie. What do you have in the horror section? What's new in horror? You know, like you just yeah. you go in there and grab two or three movies with your with your girlfriend or your your buddies or whatever, and then you would watch movies all night. Like that is like 
I missed that. You said rentals, and I just like got all like warm and fuzzy and like oh yeah. Rent, renting a movie days. takes me back. Kid, kids today, they don't know. Matt. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> Riding my bikes on oh, summertime. Me and my buddies would ride our bikes up to family video. Even games too. Like oh, we hoped that like the new Nintendo sixty four game would be in stock so we could rent it. It was just like one of these. Oh man, it was such such a great time. It's just. Yeah, these kids will never know. I'm sorry to cut you, know you off. You, you said rentals. No, you're not just... cutting me off. You know what's funny is that I can't even remember the name of the video because we didn't have like a lot of blockbusters, at least not spread evenly grew up in throughout. Puerto, Puerto Rico, right? You, yeah, we didn't. I mean, Rico. we we did have them, but they just weren't evenly spread out. So, like, the closest one was this little mom and pop shop video rent like center. I remember the the guy that I worked for. His name was Eduardo. He was really nice. Sometimes he'd let me take movies home for free. But this was like right around the time that like DVD was like really making a, an impact yeah. in in the in the home, you know. And so video games and DVDs and VHSs and people would rent them, and it wasn't even like a big store. It was like this little store that like a something like a hole in the wall kind of thing, very very small, lengthy towards the back. And so it was weird. I'm thinking about it now. How like that guy appeared to have money. And I'm just thinking now, like how Netflix has demolished his like well-being. Like when it became hey. like a, I could just have stuff at my house for free, which is kind of like a testament to how small biz, like small business owning, is like you have to be on top of it. Nothing lasts forever, you know. Yeah. N- not to get too sidetracked, I will say this: when I was a kid, my dad would always go to this liquor store to get his beer. And this liquor store had movies and games for rent. It was like oh, wow. so weird. Like, I don't know. I don't I think mean, that's a, weird at all. I think that that jives, dude. I, rent I, mean, a movie I guess as I mean, drink some beers as a kid. I don't know. I didn't really think much about it. But I think now you think like, you know, you have <laughs> you have a liquor store that's running out, running out movies and games and stuff, which, which was just kind of funny. But anyways, sorry, right. continue on about the thing. The thing, I keep saying the thing, it sounds weird just to say, like, the thing. Like, what thing? What are you talking about? The movie, right. the thing. I mean, it, it's fine. If you're listening to this episode, you should understand what the thing is that we're talking about. <laughs> right. So, The Thing is a film that came out in 1983. Was it 83 or 82? 82. It was in 82. 82. 82. It was in 82. It is, it follows, the story <clears throat> revolves around a group of researchers in Antarctica who discover, or it is brought to their attention that another research station near them, which is run by uh, Norwegian scientists, uh, have encountered some kind of creature. And this creature can, I guess, synthesize or absorb life forms and become them uh, to a T. And so that's where the story kind of kicks off. And the, the, the horror behind this story is that you never know who is an, I guess we could use the word infected. The word infected gets thrown around in the film a lot. But it creates a perfect copy, a perfect imitation, if, if you will. And to me, the idea is great. Although technically the film is a remake twice removed, it's, it's, it's a is twice it really removed a remake because they really had the original, remake, The Thing, I forget what the original was called, The Thing from Another World, which is a 1951 film. And then they had another film that came out in 72 that features a, a, not A-list actors, at least not for the time, at least not known to us what they would be now, you know what I mean? But for the time, they're, 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 you know, they're well-known actors. Um, so it featured Peter Cushing, Star Wars, and Christopher Lee, 
who's known for his role in the Lord of the Rings films as, you know, Saruman. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Every time I say it, I have to say it that way. Yeah. Saruman. Saruman. Okay. But uh, (laughs) it featured them. But that film, The Thing from Another World, so they, they have this second remake is called Horror Express, and it takes place on a train. It doesn't take place in a research facility. As opposed to the thing from another world, I from the fifty-one. To, yeah, saying, go ahead. So you're saying these are? I thought, I thought that it was a common mistake that the thing was a remake. Nineteen eighty-two was it wasn't actually a remake. So they're all all the influenced. all the films are influenced by a writing called a novella called "Who Goes There," who is by John mm-hmm. W. Campbell. His his okay. book was released in thirty-eight. Who and there's been several books in a line that follows him, and his story revolves around Antarctic researchers. Obviously, he doesn't understand the kind of technology that we that is portrayed in '82 or anything like that. But everything is kind of like these mixes of trying to modernize what you're experiencing. So it's not a remake; just heavily influenced. Sure. Who 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 okay, who, who, who goes there is like the base. That they all that they all derive okay. from. I want to jump into the year of 1982. Can we jump into the? This is my favorite. Sure. Thing to do, a year to that I year a year that I was not around. Let's go. I wasn't. I wasn't even around then either. I was born a year later. Yeah. I was born in '83. So, all right. Box office mojo. Okay. Right. Did you look at this yet? Did you look at this information? No. Did you know what the number one movie? What do you want me to just read off the list? I'll just read off the sure. list. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, well, I'm just going to say, I'm just, this is an honorable mention. Number 13 was the first Rambo movie, First Blood. That was number 13. So, uh, Annie was 12, Chariots of Fire was 11. So, number 10, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I am not familiar with that film. <laughs> number 9 is Poltergeist. Number 8 was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Number 7 was Arthur. Number 6 was Porky's. Number 5 was An Officer and a Gentleman. Number four was On Golden Pond. Number three was Rocky Three. Number two was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And number one was E.T., the extraterrestrial. Those are the top those All are the these movies top grossing, up. or those are just like a like a those are, yeah, top grossing of the year of nineteen eighty two. Now if you go I think number forty three forty three was the thing. Yeah, number 43 was the thing. That's how far yeah. back it was. I mean, over time, it sort of like gained notoriety and is considered a, a classic, a film classic. I think rightfully so for like all the underlying themes and special effects and all that. But I thought that was really, really interesting. So the thing only brought in 19629000 some odd dollars, and its budget was like $15 million. So it really wasn't that lucrative of a film, which... There's an interesting theory or something that John Carpenter has been on the record of saying is he thinks E.T. sort of ruined the the thing's success, box office run for success. Because what was the, it came out. What's the number? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What's the number for Blade Runner? No. Oh, Blade, that's right. Forgot Blade Runner came out that year. No, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner was... didn't just come out that year. They dropped on the same day. Same day. Yeah, right, 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 right. So Blade, so Blade Runner was also known as a flop when it came out at the time. Uh, it was number twenty nine, and it grossed twenty seven million. It was also a fairly large budget film. And that's another. That's like an all time favorite. Now that, of mine, now that, that I'm thinking about it, Harrison Ford two films in a year. That's gr- that's crazy. That's right. Yeah. This, <laughs> two yeah two two films. <laughs> yeah yeah. 
And he had Star Wars coming up. That's crazy. <laughs> Harrison Ford was making yeah, some man. fucking money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Indiana Jones is a direct thing that came of the success of Star right. Wars because of George yep. Lucas and Steven Spielberg and, and all that. And so, but John Carpenter has said that he felt that the success of, of the thing was hindered by the success of E.T. because it came out two weeks later after E.T. had come out and E.T. was like this fun loving alien with a happy campy ending. Whereas the thing was completely opposite of that, where it was like a dark horror movie with a, with a, dark ending oh right? yeah and so he has been on record he thinks that et is sort of like everyone was still sort of high off this love lovable extraterrestrial character i mean et, with this, ET like, at the ending. end of the day et is a film that satisfies everybody i mean not i wouldn't say horror fans but you know science fiction fans families kids teenagers anybody can go watch et and be like wow this is amazing but then you go watch the thing and a dude's head detaches from its body and then turns into a fucking spider and then they burn it and it like roars and shit like that's there's that's a it's a whole demographic you got to cut out yeah well i mean horror is also you had rated r i think et was pg i want to say i don't think it was rated g it was rated pg so you, that's another thing that studios are always always hesitant to go for is that r rating because you you chop off a huge block of audience, right? That can see your film. And so that's why a lot of times, like with, with superhero movies, it's rare to see a rated R film because the studios want all that box office money because they want it. So everyone can go see it. So that's why they're typically PG 13. And that's why everyone was so worried about Deadpool when Disney bought a Fox and and all that news, I guess. I mean, we talk about this another time, but uh, side note, I'm super pumped because they just announced Wolverine uh, low or, Hugh Jackman, come oh, on, was, man. Hugh, Hugh Jackman, I should know this because Wolverine's like my one of my favorite superheroes. Hugh Jackman is coming back to play Wolverine in Deadpool right. 3, so I was like pretty pumped to hear about that. But anyways, yeah, okay, so you mentioned the special effects in this movie. So, I, so if someone said, hey, if I had to give a yes or no, an- yes or no answer, does this movie stand the test of time? I would say yes. yes. I would say it's, it's not perfect, but practical effects like i went back and going back and rewatching this i was like holy shit this is like this is awesome like this is really good stuff and it like definitely i mean the whole movie itself it doesn't feel like you know sometimes you like we saw the blob and it was just, some of the special effects were just not good at all like the blue screen stuff and the stop motion stuff i will say the ending of the thing with the, some of that stop motion stuff I didn't really. I mean, I like guess so much. I guess it, it, it must jarring. have been difficult. They could have done it more practically, but hey, maybe maybe they ran out of money, you know. Yeah, I don't know, but they spent a lot of time actually on that in the ending. They spent like for that one like three second or five second shot of they call it the Blair thing because his name was Blair. Yeah, right, and right, right. Know, he was like they every, call it the every Blair single thing. instance of a a monster portrayed is is referred to as a thing of whatever it's derived from. So the dog thing, the Norse yeah. thing, the head thing you know, the Bennings thing, whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I found out that, so Rob Botton has done a whole lot of Rob work. Botton is the special effects at, guy for the thing, right? Yeah. Rob Botton is special effects. He has done, I mean, even recent or no. Okay. So he worked on star Wars and new hope as a system maker. So at this time he was only 22. Yeah. So he worked on star Wars and new hope in 77. So if my math is correct. That's five years ago. So he was like, 
not even adult yet and working on like movies and stuff. So, I mean, he worked on Star Wars. Um, what else? There was another movie. I, oh, RoboCop and Total Recall. Yeah, he had he, he did seven. He had done some stuff up into that Mission point. Impossible, yeah. Fight Club. I mean, he even worked on Game of Thrones recently. Right. Like, not I all mean, the he episodes. Was, he, he did he's, one. He does, he he's gets exhausted by the workload of this film. I mean, to the point where they actually had to bring in Stan Winston. If, if you don't know Stan Winston, and Stan Winston has a repertoire film under his belt uh, with practical effects such as Terminator, Aliens, uh, Predator, all those big sci-fi films that we know and love, actually had to step in to help out because Bottens was just just flummished well, from you... like, but he's not credited at all in the film. He, uh, he really? yeah, he's not he's it, not credited. Winston, or Winston. You saw Stan Winston. Stan Winston, okay, Stan yeah, Winston yeah, okay, gave yeah, yeah. all of that, all of that, uh, edit, uh, not edit, all that credit. He wanted uh, Bottens to get all of it because he didn't want um, any of that credit. But he did step in and help with the overwhelming task of the first thing that is shown on screen, which is the dog thing, which is an insane. An insanely wonderful display of what's possible with practical effects. The whole film is, tr- realistically. Yeah, every time the thing comes on screen, I think, I mean, that was a that was a gnarly scene. Mm-hmm. I guess we could talk about, since we're, we're just stick with special effects, we'll talk about the scenes with the thing. The, the beginning with the dogs is like, Pure nightmare fuel. Oh, yeah. Specifically, if you're a dog lover, like, I was like, well, I mean, because I don't remember much from this film, right? Like I said, I, it's just sort of like my first time watching. I saw it when I was in high school, but I didn't really remember much from it. So going back and rewatching it sort of was almost like my first time. And I was just like, I didn't remember it being that way, right? So I'm like, I was like, oh, God. Yeah. The dog, the husky. I don't know his name. I I really wish I did Uh right now. Um, the husky or huskies, possibly, who portray the infected dog in the beginning of the film. Mm. Oscar-worthy material. <laughs> because he literally is perfect. The way that he creeps into the kennel really tr- like gives that, that sense of like he's trying to not be noticed. Because you know dogs have sense, can sense things when we can't. And so yeah. he's... Yeah. The, the creature's trying to walk into this kennel with all these normal dogs and not get found out until he's alone with them. And I thought that even the, like I said, the dog's performance was amazing. I think that's a testament to the, the handlers, right? The trainers. Oh, yeah, 100%. They're the ones they have to like train, train it to do certain things and move a certain way at certain points in time. But yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, it was really interesting watching the dog the way it was portrayed and it was trained and I guess acted, you know, as a, as a animal was really interesting. I couldn't remember who did the dog when it went into the room, you saw the dude's shadow. Who was Okay. I don't think anybody has said, I, I've never like deep dived into it. I have talked with other people, but I think that it's Palmer. Okay. But then that leaves question to further things in the film because Palmer is child's roommate. Hmm. Oh, Palmer was the curly haired dude, right? Correct. He he's the okay. one that transforms. That would make sense. He's the one that trans but the the thing that doesn't yeah. make sense 
is like I said, he's he's um child's roommate who's played by Keith David. Um and they're alone. Two they're hours. alone for a considerable amount of time. I mean, they they sleep in the and they bunk together, you know? And there isn't and then it when they get ten, but when, is there a when, scene where they're together? Yeah. This is after that yes, though. Is there yes, a scene where they're alone yes. together? I think it's I think that it's Palmer because of the shape of his hair, and he's the only one that has that shape of hair. Or at least to me it appears that way. Like if I try to pay it really pay attention. Okay. I think you're I think you're right. As I was trying to go back and think about it, I was like, man, who who was it? And I was like for a second there, I was trying to remember I was trying so I know we're we're sort of off topic with the with the character the the, the creatures that we're talking actors. about. Actors. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about the creatures. Okay, I'll get into the actors a little bit here in a little bit because I just want to talk about Wil- Wilford Brimley because that dude had... I don't know. I love. I just love him as an actor. Yeah, so you talked about the dogs and the dog scene and how sort of like crazy. For me, it was the, the chest chomper scene. Oh, yeah. That whole well, sequence, you know it's like that to me was my favorite part of the entire movie. I think even the ending versus the ending, that scene. Well, no, that or the scene where Palmer like, reveals himself yeah. as the thing, the thing. Yeah, and like those two scenes, classic, just amazing, just or I love yeah. It. So just love so it. yeah, that it. scene where uh, Copper, who's played by uh, Richard Dysart, he goes to hit him with the paddles and he hits him once and norris says, you know he does his thing he receives the shock and then when he goes to hit him again it's like it's too perfect the scene where it opens you can't even see yeah. a seam like you would think that like oh if they shot it a couple times they got to reseal it whatever do whatever prosthetics they got to do you can't even see a seam where it splits it just opens, mm-hmm. and you can't see anything under it. There's no translucency, no fault at all. And the, and the way that scene is set up, they have you all. So I think that's the scene where they're all freaking out about McCready, who's played by Kurt Russell. Like, they're all freaking out about him, right? Because they think that he's a right. thing. And they're all sitting there, so they've, they're having this, like, sort of back and forth. Right. And so... And so we're focused as a viewer we're all focused on in that and that's sort of like the backdrop of this scene and like it totally lulls you into a sense of surprise and it's done so yeah. well like usually that those things don't catch me and i was watching it and i was like oh shit you know like it's one of the, it's one was, of those now, moments where it's like it's not really a jump scare but it's one of those situations where you can you'll curl up in your seat oh fuck because you truly it's yeah. literally something that you 100% do not expect to happen yeah, it was so well done the way that that scene, and then also the blood test scene. Holy, I forgot what was going on, but I remember it felt like they were they were lulling you into a sense of like comfortness, right? And all of a sudden, boom the the little dish explodes, and then like oh, and all hell breaks loose. Like man, that was oh, those scenes were just so good and so well done. I just, I just, I loved it. It was right. so great. You can see though. In that scene where he's dipping the copper wire into the blood samples, if you really mm-hmm. pay attention, this is something that I notice after years of watching it over and over and over. I've probably seen the thing probably maybe 20, 30 times in my lifetime. 
And so when he goes to hit it with the wire, you can see that the hand that's holding it is fake because it's obviously spring-loaded with whatever mm. thing comes out. Yeah, yeah, it shoots yeah. out. Yeah, but yeah. It, that makes sense. I Go ahead. No, no, no. Ahead. I was just going to say, like, it's one of those things that, like, you don't notice it until you notice it, and then you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah the... the... <laughs> I just can't believe this movie was made in 1982. Like, I feel like, I mean, I get it's 1982, but, man, the the practical effects were just so well done. Yeah. Like, it's just like, this is like 1982, like, and, and the way the whole movie was shot. So the thing, so there are some things that I had, like, some gripes with was, like, it never, they never talked about how, like, memories, like, how does it know? Like, why do they never, I don't know how memories worked in this scenario, mm -hmm. right? When it would, like, not one time did they say, hey, what did I, what did we eat? for for dinner two nights ago when i cooked right right like so I, I guess it's just sort of like a storytelling thing they didn't want to explore that and they didn't want to so, so there there Maybe are a couple there are a couple of uh situations in sci-fi where you are corrupted by something but you retain consciousness so um a good example of this is in the flood which is the first Halo book, mm -hmm. which I think is written by Eric Nyland. Um, there's a story, a short portion of the book it lends um, its attention to a specific Marine, and this Marine is infected by the Flood. And although he's full-fledged, like the Flood is under control, or the Flood is in control, he can see and feel everything and if he gets even though he doesn't die if he gets shot he feels the bullet wounds if he's held down i think in the book he's held down and they're like trying to restrain him and they snap his arm but the flood thing that's inside of him controlling everything keeps flailing and like it talks about him feeling his bones like break and gnaw and stuff like that so i think that his consciousness I think that that can be applied in theory to the thing. Like, it absorbs you and it imitates you, but your consciousness might remain so that it can more, so that it can use you more effectively in a more beneficial way to get to its end, end goal, which is to consume everybody. Yeah, maybe in some way it can replicate the brain and memories and whatever whatever the cell structure there or something they just never addressed it and i was like the first thing that i was thinking about i thought about this throughout the entire movie this is like one of those things i just latched onto i was like how does it remember like how did it, they never even like that would be the first thing that i would do because I, I always like i don't know most of us probably do the same thing like what would you do in that situation right 100 like what would i'd be like all right dude i cooked whatever this we did this three days ago what did we do like what did i say to you or like when did i when did I, what did I confide with you on this day? Like something that you, only you would know or that we would know together, right? And that was never addressed. It's just like one like minor thing that I think is minor, but also like a big thing to me. Not that it ruins the movie. It's just I would prefer they they could have just explained it away. They could have had a scene where he they had that scene, and then the thing person says, "Yes, we did this," and then all of a sudden it turns out he is the thing. They kill it, and they're like, "Oh, apparently it it knows memories too, right?" Yeah, sure. Something like that would have been would have been cool i i think minor gripe but also it's like a huge like thing for me when i think about it like throughout the movie i just thought it was an interesting thing that they they did not touch on so you mentioned keith david love that guy i was like holy shit that dude looks like a baby he was, was, he was, only, he was only 26 
I was all I could think about was him and Community. That's all I could think about was him and Community, and then the voice of the president and Rick and Morty at the time. I mean, time. he's <laughs> I, he, he also uh, voices the Arbiter. That's that's true. He does the voice of the Arbiter, and right. I, I don't Halo know yep, if yep. he also is like the voice for Navy commercials. It sounds like him, but I don't know. Yep. It, it, I'm pretty sure it is him. I'm you almost know, positive. Navy, accelerate your life. Like, I, I think that's him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I just, there's an, I don't know if you've watched Rick and Morty. There's an episode where he plays the president and he gets in like, this is like, who's Dick Bigger contest yeah. with, with Rick. It's just fucking hilarious. Um, And so I was like, oh man, like Keith David. Kurt Russell, man. Also, man, such that dude, it's so young. It's just so weird to go back and see how like these actors and they're so young and and whatnot. Yeah. And so, I mean, so Kurt Russell, he also worked with John Carpenter on Escape from New York and um, a few other Escape from L.A., which also had Snake, Snake Plissken yep. as a reference to Metal Gear. Yep. And boom, we have gotten our Metal, Metal Gear. Gear. I had to throw that in. There. <laughs> <laughs> had to get the Metal Gear reference in. Because that all you could think about was Snake Plissken Snake every time Plissken. I saw every time I saw Kurt Russell in in this film. So I just had to thought I was like, how are we gonna get and now I'm like actively thinking like how am I gonna get a Metal Gear reference in? We didn't really get one in the blob, but now I like before we do an episode, I'm like actively thinking like how can I connect the dots? <laughs> this one was a little bit easier. So all right. Yeah. But so so, so what's funny though, what's talk- funny though is that they wanted to get Ernie Hudson uh or Carl Weathers um, Carl Weathers uh, is in Predator. Um, Ernie Hudson has yep. a number yeah, yeah. of other works, um, but they landed on on Keith David, and so Keith David was mostly a stage actor at the time. He had done some little things here and there, um, but never been in a starring role. So, like, he's considered one of the stars of the film, not a supporting actor. You know what I mean? So this oh, he was this yeah. is he's he one of the one of the character. main focuses of the film. As as the film progresses, he comes more and more into the spotlight. And so I just I Keith David's character Childs is amazing to me. I love every second that he's on the screen. Yeah, I mean it's it's just so it's such a I don't even know how to like put my finger. It was just such a fun movie the way they depicted how i think a bunch of dudes would react in the real world in this scenario. right it's very the things that they do are very believable very believable there's no like nothing seems like forced everything that happens in the film every conversation feels like it would go that way in the real world and that's one of the things that i love about this film i have no complaints with this film. I'm even on board with the freaking ambiguous nihilistic ass ending. I have no complaints about the ending. <sighs> the ending leaves the viewer, leaves it all up to me. Okay, you brought up the ending. I did, I was going to hold off on the ending, but you we brought can, it we up. We can hit it later. I mean, it's not a big deal. No, okay. <laughs> you brought it up. We can talk about it now. You brought it up already. We can segue into the, into the ending because there's so many theories that it's funny because even... John Carpenter has never ever talked about. Yes, the he ending. did. He's left it. No, alone. he did. Like what well, he has said. What he he said. What he thought. The no, he he said he said they're both human. He said it. Oh, did yeah. he? And in the thing video game, 
which is a third person video game where you play a special forces captain and mm-hmm. you come back to uh uh the installation number 31 um I forget the character's name. I did play this game back in 2002. It has small squad s- small squad management stuff and like no multiplayer, but it's still a, a I think it's an it's a great game. Um does it does the game stand the test of time? That's probably a discussion for another episode. But still, in the game you discover Childs and McCready's skeletons. So that lends credence to the end of this film being that they're both human. But Carpenter says that the game is canon. Stop talking about it. They're both human. He considers the game canon. And he even voices one of the, one of the characters in the game. And so that is... what's funny about the ending is that maybe people might not notice it in passing, right? But some people believe that it's left up to the viewer's imagination on purpose, which is fine, yeah. right? And I actually like yeah. that. Inception some some people it. have um, conceptualized or come up with the idea that maybe the reason why McCready laughs after Childs takes a swig of the drink is because if you pay attention in the ending scenes, they're all kitted up with like dynamite and Molotov cocktails. So mm-hmm. he believes that people, some people think that it would make sense for Childs to be the thing because McCready gives him a bottle full of gasoline. And he doesn't react as a human would when they consume gasoline, because he just swallows it. Because what is a th- what is but a it, thing it, about? I had the- to go back and look at the bottle. The bottle was not the bottles they were using. For, it was actually like a whiskey bottle, or, the same, or was it a Molotov cocktail bottle? What do you mean a Molotov cocktail bottle? He didn't. They didn't. Like what, the it was like they were using like these bigger like wine bottles when they were throwing them, and what, what he sipped from was like a smaller type bottle. No, he brings it. He brings out the, the big Jim. It's a Jim Beam bottle. You can use a glass. Any glass bottle will do. Yeah. Okay. okay. And so obviously it, there is though the way that I kind of get away from this. I like that idea. It's eerie. It's cool. It's creative. That's fine. What I don't like about it is it looks in the scene like McCready is about to take a swig from it right when Childs walks up. Anyways, the second thing is that people say that Childs might be a thing is because he has no breath. If you watch the scene over, when McCready talks, it's just heat yeah. coming out of his yeah, mouth. The whole, t- every, mm-hmm. every word he utters, breath. And none of that is present when Childs speaks at all. That is true. That's... An- I was sort of thinking, like, because I don't think I, I, I'm trying to remember. Charles doesn't drink any alcohol throughout the entire movie, does he? I don't think he's even. I don't, I don't think, think he's even seen I with a beer. Thinking, Nothing. Right. I thought because when he goes to sip from it, he laughs, and so I thought that he was laughing because maybe Charles is like an alcoholic and he didn't drink alcohol, and so Charles is drinking this. McCready knew that. And I was like, do they ever call back to that at all? Mm. That's what I was like thinking in my mm. head. That was like sort of like my menu theory that he was an alcoholic. Not he was an alcoholic who was a who doesn't drink anymore. 
And so when he drank, and McCready just kind of laughed because he knew he was fucked. And he was like, we're just going to die here together and whatever until you unthaw or whatever, right? And so that's... Yeah. That's so there's sort of there's some things about... So McCready is a fucking alcoholic. I mean, in the beginning of the film, it's the, it's oh, the yeah, crack of yeah. fucking dawn and he's drinking. Yeah, he's drinking. Uh, some people... He even says, some, I just want to go back to my room and drink. Yeah, some, some people say... Not some people say it is it is lore. It's not some people say it's lore that McCready is a retired Vietnam uh, veteran that flew. That, I mean, that tracks because he helicopter. Yeah, that pilot, that, so. that flew helicopters in Vietnam. So that's why he's so like hardened, as opposed to everybody else who's kind of like ah the thing, and he's just like kill it, you know, like <laughs> burn yeah, it, like yeah. he's all hard, no hesitation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but he, he yeah. is, uh, you can see his fucking skivvies like there, it has army print on it when they find his, his jacket or whatever. It has like that oh, army, right. yeah, army they, stenciled this... lettering on it. Yeah. 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 This is, the ending was interesting because I figured that a lot of people thought like some people thought McCready was the thing. I didn't like that theory where they thought McCready, McCready was the thing before this happened. Like after this happened at the end and I I was kind of disappointed that John Carpenter actually uh, said it, that they were both human because I like the idea of it leaving up to us to sort of think about that's it. Because, that's, that's because that's because we couldn't leave it alone as viewers. We were like, "Hey, you know what? Fuck it. They're both people. <laughs> Shut up." But see that I mean, this is me. I mean, because I'm a bit of an anarchist. I just would be laughing the entire all these years. I'd just be laughing. Like, you motherfuckers are still talking about this. I'm not gonna say yeah. shit. That's how I would take. It. I'd be like, ha. I'm still relevant to this day because you guys are still talking about my fucking movie that I made in 1982. That's like my take on it. And I think Michael Caine ruined the Inception ending because he came out and said that that was still a dream. But <laughs> that's what I think. To me, Inception is sort of like my. Uh, dare I say perfect film like it's not perfect but to me it's like the perfect film like it has everything that I want the premise is amazing the shot it's an incredible film right. and the ending is just like the ending is I remember in the at the end of that film people were like audibly gasping when I saw that in the theaters like Inception like just because they were like what oh was it a dream you know it's just like I love endings like that I love when when films end that way and leave it to us to just sort of think about and like take things that we saw from the film to sort of analyze it. I just, I really like that. And so I'm kind of bummed out that John Carpenter said, no, they're both human. So they kind of, that kind of like renders all theories moot. You know what I mean? Like all the things we talk about, all the theories, we, all the things we analyze, it's like, it doesn't matter because John Carpenter said they're human. So it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter why you think that because John Carpenter said they're human. So it yeah, just but it's still, it's still, renders fun, the it's fun, still fun to think about. It's not as fun. Yeah. Though. It's not, it's as, not fun as fun anymore. Cause you can always, <laughs> Right, because you can just be like, John Carpenter said that. Yeah. So, all right. All right, so I don't have, yeah, is there anything that I missed? I want to jump into some fun facts here. Um, no. Okay, I'm going to jump into I just have a couple of fun facts, and then I'm going to, we'll, we'll wrap up our thoughts here, and then we'll continue on and say our goodbyes. All right, sound good? Sure. Okay, so this was wild. The cast almost died. Really? Before they filmed this movie. Yes, this is from Screen Rant. This is where it got it from. So after flying from Los Angeles to Vancouver, where they shot it, and then to Prince Rupert in British Columbia, I'm sorry, Canada is where they shot it. Prince Rupert in British Columbia, bad weather forced the cast to take a six-hour bus ride for the final leg of the trip. Driving in snowy darkness, the bus came close to sliding off the side of, a, of the road, which had a 500-foot drop. Blah. 
and they actually the 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 blessed drive was like a was like fishtailed or something and they almost like they all would have died they would have fell on that and they would have died wow <laughs> the entire cast and we would never have had this movie we would never have kurt russell we would never have all the wonderful things that we got so i thought that was wild i was just like damn jesus glad they made it out okay yeah i did not so, know that that's really interesting yeah yeah so so you probably didn't maybe you didn't see this article kurt russell used real dynamite unknowingly at the end of the movie in that scene when he throws it at the thing yeah yeah so during that scene mccready fights back against the alien by throwing a stick of dynamite in the direction of the thing real dynamite was used for the scene what Russell evidently didn't realize was just how powerful real dynamite actually is. The result was that Russell found himself literally blown backward by the explosion, which you can see in the film. But he was he was okay, and they decided to keep it in the movie at the end. But he was all right. Wow. So, I did not. I did I'm not. Pretty know sure that. he didn't know. I'm pretty. Sure. I'm pretty sure he didn't know it was real dynamite. Maybe he did. He just didn't realize how strong it was. Maybe that's what is it was. Is it but the scene anyways. when he throws dynamite at Palmer or when he throws dynamite at the Blair thing? Because he burns Palmer and Palmer crashes through the wall, which is supposed to be heavily insulated, triple walled, whatever, because it's fucking Antarctica. But yeah, so this paper wall, that's, the old, that's one thing that I was like, what? Because Palmer just blab bashes through it. Is it the scene where he throws the dynamite at Palmer or is it the scene where he throws it at Blair? Because the scene where he throws it at Palmer looks fucking intense. Cause he's right there. And the explosion looks pretty, it looks pretty real. It doesn't look like any kind of camera effect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I want to, I, from what I read, I thought it was the end of the film when he threw it. Yeah, the uh, alien version of Palmer with the stick of dynamite required controlled special effects explosion to be set off close to Kurt Russell. Unfortunately, the actor had not been informed how big the explosion would be, meaning that he was sending far too close to it and gave an entirely genuine reaction to the flames that nearly very touched his face. So it was Palmer. Yes, the Palmer. Not not Blair thing. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Palmer. But anyways, yeah, he was he didn't realize how powerful dynamite was <laughs> and by almost killed yeah. himself. He so he escaped death two times. Right. Uh, and then the other one I had that I just thought was interesting. So in the beginning when McCready was playing chess, I believe there was a voice yeah. in the computer. Yeah, that, that narrates. That actually, it narrates the moves. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually done by John Carpenter's wife, Adrienne Barbeau. Oh, I didn't that's know that. John Carpenter's wife. So, that's, so it wasn't yeah. a computerized voice. No, it was actually, oh. yeah, someone actually voiced it, and it was his wife. She's like, she's like the, that's like the only female presence yep. in the whole film. Yep, the only female wow. presence. And that's why I found this movie, like, super interesting, because it's like, I think, I think it's an interesting take on masculinity, you know, and the egos and how you put a bunch of dudes together in a life or death situation. I thought it was an interesting depiction of what would happen in that, in that sort of situation. Mm. And that's, and some people actually think it's like, some weird uh, amalgam, amalgam of like homosexuality, and, and I don't even know how they how they came to what? this. Like, analyze. I wish I had it. They, yeah, someone actually went a deep dive and analyzed it and thought it was like something to do with like male homosexuality. And so it was like it was pretty wild stuff. I didn't really like do a deep dive on it, but I remember reading that. Was, like, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not offended. I just I can't see it. No, I'm not. And that's, yeah, I wasn't either. But I, I, I it's just. 
I'm just saying there's so many different ways people have analyzed this film, and that's just one of them is what I'm bringing right, up. Right, like, right. You know, it's not just, you know, an alien and a bunch of dudes trying to kill this alien. It's sort of like there's deeper layers to right. it if you take a deeper look to it. And I, and I think that's why a lot of people like, enjoy this movie and like it. And the first thing I, I was thinking about was like, yeah, you have a, dun- a bunch of dudes, especially when they had that scene when they were talking about who's going to be in charge, you know what I mean? Like, it's just typical of a bunch of dudes in a life or death situation fighting an alien. Like, it's just totally how I would imagine it. Like, nah, bro, I should be the leader. Like, no, like, or you stole this. You know, it's like, it's really interesting to me. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Give me your final thoughts. Give me a couple of minutes of your final thoughts about this film, and then I'll wrap it up with mine, and we'll say our goodbyes. So this is one of this is going to be another one of those uh, rare instances, Peter, where I have zero complaints about a film. I have I have no <sighs> dun, dun, I have dun. no gripes. I have no issues. I find the film to be immaculate. Although it's not the, that's not that's, that for everybody. And like I said, there's that a, there's that one scene where you can totally tell that his hand is fake holding the little disc. But like I said, until you see it, you wouldn't even know it's there. But yeah, I, 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 I just it pointed it out yeah. to you. So now next time, if you ever watch it again, you're going to be like, <laughs> just like Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. So uh the film the film has its its ups and downs emotionally and the, the points of safety where you feel like the characters are safe. That's another thing about this film that I really liked is so the film is supposed to be well it's not supposed to be. It is is this story where anybody could be the threat. Right? Even the main protagonist it's hinted at from the other characters. This is one of those films that doesn't, I guess I'm going to use this phrase loosely, right? It doesn't give a shit about its characters in terms of not that they're not fleshed out. I mean that none of them are safe. I mean, tech, everyone dies. They all die. Childs, yeah. McCree, I mean, yeah. they all die. Whether it's to the thing or not, they're doomed, period. Um... Actually, I have a fun fact that I don't think we got to, but I will continue with my final thoughts but right after. So in the beginning of the film, when the Norwegian uh, gentleman gets out of the helicopter and the one guy fumbles his grenade, which that's one thing in the whole movie. I was like, okay, who? That was like <laughs> yeah. the worst. Oh, my grenade ever. <laughs> in the history of film, that's the worst. It slipped in my I've ever seen. Uh, I was just waiting for a super break. Oops, yeah. my bad. <laughs> if you had seen this film uh, and you spoke Norwegian, you spoke that language, mm-hmm. the whole plot would have been revealed to you by that gentleman with the rifle. Because when he walks up and the dog is leaning on Bennings and he's like coddling it, right? He's, he's petting it. He's like, hey. The dog's trying to get his attention. The Norwegian says something to something akin to that's not a dog, that's not an animal. It's a creature we found in the ice, and it can imitate things perfectly. It's dangerous. We have to kill it. Get away from it, you idiot. He, so he basically drops the whole mm. plot line in the first four minutes of the film. And you wouldn't be privy to that unless you spoke Norwegian. 
And I always, I guess that makes sense. I always thought that that was like a cool little uh, fact about the film that not a lot of people know. Probably somebody's looked it up by now. But at the time, where you couldn't just be like translate this like on the internet, you know that that secret is not revealed to you until now. What it was almost forty years, right? Well, I mean, if it's twenty twenty, sure if it's twenty twenty two, it's for it's forty years. This year, I'm sure someone who spoke the language saw that movie at some point in time between the forty years and caught. No, yeah, I'm assuming absolutely, which is why we have that information now. But um, other than that, like I said, the film, I think it's immaculate. The the sound design, the 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 foley artists, amazing work all around. All the reverse screams that they use in order to portray the wails and hails of the thing. All the puppetry, fifty technicians, Peter, on the Blair thing, fifty, and the things that the actors had to go through, like, like you said, they almost died. And a lot of the scenes were filmed on sets in California that they would refrigerate down to like two degrees to give the actors like that. That's not makeup. Those motherfuckers are cold. They would spray their fucking beards with water so that it would freeze, like, method acting to at its finest. <laughs> that's interesting, because I was wondering that. I was like, is, that, is, like, is his beard really frozen, or right. is nah, that they were They that's were straight sucking, dude. Just absolutely that's suffering. Cool. Even though, at the time of filming those scenes, it would be, like, between 35 and 40 degrees outside, so, like, a significant change... But still, you know, they're down there doing film in, in, in two-degree temperatures. Just to get that effect of that real sense of, I'm fucking cold. But on top of that, I think that the film does an amazing job of, especially if it's your first time seeing it, of keeping you on your toes. And I honestly think that if released today, it would do well. Obviously, we would have clear picture. You know, this has that that muddled nineteen eighties effect on its film. Yeah, I mean, because technology has yeah. changed. But even the I, I watched the remastered edition, and it still looked pretty damn good yeah. to me. So. Just the clarity, the perfection of the practical effects. That there's, it's it's an immaculate film, and it, I think it will stand the test of time for the rest of time. It's like I said. With CG, I said this in previous episodes, with CGI, most of the time, most of the time, 95, 98% of the time, you can tell that it's CGI. But with this film, there's some shit that I'm like, I don't know. To this day, when McCready shoots that dog that's tangled up with the tentacles, when he shoots it, mm. to this day, I always have to question whether or not that's a real dog. Because of how real it looks, the jump of the of the dog's body and the blood filling its fur like that instantly, it's it's it's. I know that it's fake, but it's hard to discern that difference because of how much attention to detail they paid and how how good they are at their craft. So, props to the special effects team and all the operators, the man hours, the amount of money that went into practical into effects makeup alone took up a good portion of the film's budget on top of 
the money that it took to keep the actors warm. That was a substantial amount of money. Just keeping the actors warm in between takes took up, ate up a, a significant amount of their budget. So I love the thing. I think it's a great sci-fi horror flick. And I actually think that sometime later this year, I'm going to read Who Goes There by Campbell. I'm going to pick it up and see what was derived. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much summed it up. I think for me, yes, it 100%, 100% stands the test of time. And part of the reason why the movie is so entertaining and so good is because of the special effects. Imagine if you had this movie, great premise, but you had shitty special effects. Like, that is like half the movie, essentially. Like, without that, you don't have this movie. You don't have the, the quality of the movie. Yes, the premise, the, the acting and performances, all that is great. But without that special effects, like, it just, you wouldn't have, it, it, you'd be missing a huge piece of, a huge ingredient to the success of this movie. And I, for me, it's just, I love sci-fi. I love horror. I loved horror. I don't, I don't watch so much horror now. But, I, I mean, I love horror and this is like the perfect i so this is like one of those movies where it was first to sort of do the we had uh like a, a mysterious thing going on and they slowly but slowly gave us more and more and more and then we had like then with a few moments of like excitement and i love the way they paced this film pacing is huge for me when it comes to a film and the way this movie was paced was perfect like it was paced perfectly and I can't say much more uh, on top of what you said. So, yeah, Stands Test of Time, awesome movie. Totally should watch if you haven't already. It's a classic, horror classic, and there's just so many things to talk about this film that I just yeah, I just love it. So, yeah, we got our Metal Gear reference in. I don't have anything else to, else to add. So, uh, stay tuned next week when we talk about another film. Absolutely. On, on the In case so, it matters but. to anybody, if you're a fan of the thing, Peter, I know that you enjoyed your time with it. There are talks that started, I think, in 2020 of another film being uh, in development or in the works or in their early stages. I don't know if it's going to be a true remake or if it's supposed to be some kind of sequel or something after the events of the video game in 2002. Uh, but that is something that's on the table as of right now for those yeah, if, I, I don't know, know if, I, the I don't know if you've seen the prequel the 2011 prequel is supposed to be like the Norwegian scientists and what happened at their base um, a bunch of things were actually shot with practical effects and then the studio requested that they CGI the monster because that was the hot thing and they thought it would be scarier and it ended up bombing at the box office and personally I watched it and it's not good yeah I was going to say I was going to ask you if you actually saw I hadn't seen it and so I just know that it was not a lot of people didn't like it it did terrible in the theaters yeah. so. but that being said uh, I don't have anything else to add neither do I I'm ready to say you guys stay well, safe enjoy this episode tune in next week because we're talking about something else scary leading up to Halloween baby Eight weeks of horror. I don't even know what we're talking about next week, but we're going to do it, and it's going to be dope. <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about, but we will be talking about this. Yes. This has been the Nerds Adulting Podcast. I'm Josh. That's Peter. <laughs> don't be <laughs> shitty. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>